This message was recorded during a Cornerstone U class given at Cornerstone Church of Knoxville. Good morning. Thanks for coming early this morning to the class, and uh, we're excited to have CJ with us to uh, share about a very important book. Um, there are certain books and authors that have just a generational influence, and they just last, and there, there's not many like that. But Knowing God by J.I. Packer is one of those books. And, and this year marks the 50th anniversary of the, re- uh, the release of this book. And so it's a book that you can come back to time and time again and just be freshly encouraging your soul, freshly reminded of who God is, of what he has done. And so we want to make sure that people are reading this book. And C.J., one thing is he is a reader. He loves this book, but one thing he is as well is a salesman. He is, he can sell a book. And, and so what, he's, what I've asked him to do this morning is to sell this book to you. I, because I believe it is a book worth selling. And I think that if you do read it, you will, not, you will walk away amazed at who God is. And not just that you know God but you are known by God. And so that's what J.I. Packer, that's what he wants you to walk away with, is just an awareness, not only that God is amazing, but even more amazing, this God knows me. And so I've asked CJ to come and just share. This is a book he reads every year. It's influenced him. It's affected him. And I wanted him to come share some specifics to us and just to share his heart and hopefully convince us, convince us, whether you've read this book or you haven't, to read it again. So let's welcome CJ as he comes to share this morning. This is a a distinct privilege and joy. When I got the invitation from Jake, and I'm looking at the invitation right here, I was was simultaneously uh, perplexed and excited. Uh, I was perplexed by the invitation because... uh, uh, I I am no scholar. Uh, I graduated from high school, and even that should be investigated. Uh, I've not met the man. J.I. Packer did not meet the man. He died in 2020, went to be with the Lord. So I've not met the man. So I I don't come to you as if I've got some kind of expertise or background that would inform this. But I wasn't just perplexed. I was also excited because this book has had a profound effect on my life, and that would be no exaggeration. Um, This is the only book I read each and every year. So I read it and I reread it. I follow the uh, wise counsel of my historical hero, Charles Spurgeon, who says uh, it it would be better to reread the best books than to be well-read broadly. Uh, And he is exactly right in my experience. And I would say, actually, as I have aged, so I'm now about to turn 70, the 69-year-old C.J., would say to the 29-year-old CJ, read fewer books and read the best books repeatedly. That, that would be the counsel I would give to the 29-year-old CJ. So th- this book has a unique place. If you ask me, and I'm often asked, because I do love to read, uh, and, and I you know, reference quotes in uh, my sermons for a number of reasons, and, and one of the reasons is I want to I want to, uh, I want people that when I'm preaching, I want people to know I'm always standing on somebody else's shoulders. So if, if I'm, if I'm giving you in a sermon, a view you haven't had previously, it's because I've been given that view by somebody else. 
And, and I've normally been given that view by dead guys who have written great books. And so I'm standing on their shoulders. But I also want to create an appetite through quotes for further reading uh, so that people can have access. Look, th this, is, this is what I've read. I'm now bringing this to you. And uh, this, this book, when I'm asked, okay, top 10 books, top five books, uh, real easy. This one's number one. For me, very easy. This, I think, is my sixth copy of this book. Don't be impressed with that. Don't be impressed that I reread this book. I, I, I have to reread this book because I forget so much that is in this book. And I also reread this book because something I've learned about reading is as I age, I have a differing perspective. So I see sentences that I didn't previously see. Uh, and I... You know, when I read, I think reading is a contact sport. I attack books. So I would recommend that you always have pen, pencils. Um, as you can see, yellow, uh, dog-eared pages throughout, uh, whatever those yellow things are. Yeah, I, this, this is a contact sport for me. Uh, and, and as I age, I realize, wow, that is one rich sentence that didn't affect me three years ago, and now it's money for me today. So that's the kind of wealth I have found in this book. And you're probably going to have to overcome the tendency. And I, I, think, I think it's probably rooted in pride to some degree, at least in my life. You know, there's like a tendency, and I don't want to reread that. I read it. I've read it. Therefore, I know it. Um, no, you're an idiot if you think that. No, you, you, you don't know it. You might have a superficial knowledge of it, but you, you don't have an in-depth knowledge and appreciation of it. And Jake mentioned uh, a moment ago that uh, you know, this is the 50th anniversary. Let me, let me, just, let me just make up a prediction right now. Uh, 100 years from now, there might be, uh, I don't know, there, there, there might be 10 popular 10 books that are popular today that are theologically informed, there might be 10 of them still circulating. 25 max from, from today, 100 years from now. I'm telling you, this one will still be in print. So we, we should treasure um, this gift. And, and because of its effect on my life, I, I was excited. Okay, I've never done anything like this before. Uh, I'm, I'm happy to make, uh, to make the attempt. Also, I do have a firm conviction that reading is a unique means of grace. So, oh my. All of us want to uh, feel deep affections for the Lord. We just, we just want to do that without having to think carefully. <laughs> we all want effortless affections. I want, I want, I want affections for the Lord that I experience spontaneously and effort, effortlessly without having to devote myself to any thinking whatsoever. Well, uh, that, that's not how it works, my friends. Uh, those who think deeply experience the deepest affections. Those who are theologically informed should be and normally are the most affectionate. So, I am, I am advocating this ultimately because I want, I want your deepened knowledge of God to result in deepened affections for God and a deeper experience of God. 
So what we're about this morning isn't just some academic exercise. For uh, not at all. No, th- this is this is ultimately about growing in our knowledge of God. And so, what could be more important? And I'm also excited because this is great leadership, which doesn't surprise me, by the pastors of this church wanting to create a context uh, where, uh, let's say this morning, I can hopefully help create an appetite for this book, and then they are adding a structure of accountability, because we all need accountability to read a book like this so that we can all be impacted by this book. So uh, no surprise, well done by the uh, pastors of this church seeking to, to advocate the best books and protect you from the worst books, okay? And, and pastoral ministry involves both, as you know. <laughs> Folks, of the publishing of bad books, I think the writer of Ecclesiastes would say, there is no end. And too often Christians uh, approach me with a book and I have to, <laughs> you read this? <laughs> I read enough to know you shouldn't read it. You know, it's just not the best use of your time. And if you'd like me to tell you why. So uh, part of what we do, it, it is a sweet gig. At times, many times, every week, I'll be sitting at my desk and I, I, I will say normally out loud, because as my wife will tell you, I'm often talking to myself uh, out loud. I will just say, I cannot believe I get paid to do this. This is scandalous. If somebody finds out that I'm being subsidized to read great books that supplement the Bible and that I'm being paid for that, I'll be jailed. And, and, I, and I would go willingly. I would say, cuff me up. Yep. Cuff me up, I should not be paid to read. But what a gift to read to serve others so that we can direct your attention. I need help in understanding my Bible. I need those who are more theologically discerning, more theologically perceptive. I need the right scholars to take my hand and lead me through passages so that I don't misunderstand them and misapply them. And that's what this book is going to do. Ultimately, it isn't about you reading this book. This book is going to create a deeper appetite for your Bible. That's the effect of this. And ultimately, I think a deeper experience, a a more accurate understanding of God and a deeper experience with God. Okay, let me me just begin by just quoting uh, a couple of smart guys. Oh, by the way, one more thing that just comes to mind, and too many things are coming to mind, so you're going to have to interrupt me here. Uh, and that's what happens when you get with people who are attentive and responsive. So ultimately, if I go over, it's their fault exactly. It's not my fault. Um, yeah, because if you've ever spoken in front of a congregation that isn't responsive, you don't have to be told it's time to end. You're looking to bail as soon as you can, but it's different when you're speaking to attentive and responsive people. Uh, uh, if let's, I would learn a lot about you by just asking you, tell me what books you've read that had, have had the most profound effect on your life. Like if I was going to lunch with you this afternoon, I, I would at some point ask you two questions because I was thinking, okay, I've only got one lunch with this individual. I want to get to know this individual. Here's the way I can get to know this individual. Who are the people you know who have influenced you the most? What are the books you've read? that have influenced you the most. I'd have a lot of data, depending on your answers to those two questions. I'd actually get to know you pretty well in a brief period of time. Um, uh, I'm the product 
of the books that have influenced me the most. And this is on the short list of books that have influenced me the most, which is why I'm excited to commend it to you. Okay, a couple of smart guys. Let's start out with a couple, quoting a couple of smart guys who've written articles about Packer uh, uh, to honor him, particularly following his death. Um, one Paul House in a theological journal that you don't need to know, uh, but he wrote that knowing God, it, written in 1973 or published in 73, is by far Packer's best-selling volume. It encapsulates the Bible's teaching about God in 22 tightly written chapters. And I love this. There is hardly a wasted word. That's so well said. You, you, will just, you will at times just stop and say, okay, I'm not sure, I could, I'm not sure we could improve on that sentence. Um, there is hardly a wasted word. Packer, he writes, treats God as a person, not a concept. He writes about God as one might about a trusted mentor who is also a family friend. God's truthful word and unimaginable love for his imperfect people constitute the heart of the work. Oh man, hard to improve upon that particular statement. Um, and then one, one other uh, scholar just wrote as he's reflecting upon his experience with this particular book, he, or really all of Packer's writing, uh, he says, I am a Packer product. Oh, I like that. I am a Packer product. And then he says, as I close my eyes, I pinpoint three formative moments with a Packer presence. And one of those moments is that a friend gave him, intentionally gave him a copy of Knowing God. And he just writes, I've never read anything like it. And then he writes, while I remember voraciously gulping it all down and feeling well nourished on finishing it. There is one line I can still see on the page as I first read it. And here was that line, and I'm going to reference it before we're done. Quote from this book, Packer writes, were I asked to focus the New Testament message in three words? I think I can still remember the first time I read this sentence too, because I thought, J.I. Packer is going to reduce the New Testament message to three words. Now, I can remember three words. <laughs> That's why this was so encouraging to me. I think I can, I can memorize. I'm, I, I think I'll be good to go with just three words. But here are the three words because you won't exhaust those three words, these three words, if you study these three words for the rest of your life. So he says, Packer writes, were I asked to focus the New Testament message in three words, my proposal would be adoption through propitiation. And we will reference both before I'm done so you understand the significance of those three words. And Packer writes, I do not expect ever to meet a richer or more pregnant summary of the gospel than that. Oh, man, that is such good writing. Oh, oh, oh. All right, so... Here is why he wrote the book. And, and so a lot of this is just going to be me reading to you. And, and I hope that serves you. My family will tell you that um, I do love to read aloud to them, not just as when they were children, but to this very day. Packer, Packer communicates that he, 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 well, here's why he wrote the book. He writes, we are cruel to ourselves if we try to live in this world without knowing about the God whose world it is and who runs it. 
the world becomes a strange, mad, painful place and life in it a disappointing and unpleasant business for those who do not know about God. Disregard the study of God and you sentence yourself to stumble and blunder through life blindfolded, as it were, with no sense of direction and no understanding of what surrounds you. This way, you can waste your life and lose your soul. And then he goes on to write, for knowing God is a relationship calculated to thrill a person's heart. That will be on page 36. Knowing God is a relationship calculated to thrill a person's heart. So question for all of us. Does your relationship, does your knowledge of God thrill your heart? Does your relationship with God thrill your heart? Well, if not, this book will be a gift to you. And I'm saying the effect of this book and the influence of this book will be a, the creation of, if necessary, or the deepening of a relationship with God that just thrills your heart. That at times, by the Spirit, through what Mr. Packer has written, illuminating God's word, you will find yourself stopping at a particular moment in your reading, pausing, tears filling your eyes as you marvel at the greatness and the goodness and the grace of God. That, that is what you can anticipate. Okay, so here, I just want to argue the three really three uh, topics and chapters that will particularly serve your soul and I think be the fruit and effect of reading this book. First, chapter 18 is the heart of the gospel. It is titled, The Heart of the Gospel. I'd say that's supplemented by chapter 12, which is the love of God. And looking at my watch, I realize you are fast running out of time. So let me be very selective. So in the heart of the gospel, the heart of the gospel, uh, Packer is helping introduce us. Packer is arguing, remember, uh, if he was to reduce the message in the New Testament, three words, propitiation through adoption. Well, chapter 18 is all about propitiation, which means how has God satisfied his wrath through the sacrifice of his innocent son in our place for our sins? That's what this chapter is about. And, and it will have a, uh, yeah, it will have a profound effect on your life. So we have a number of quotes we could read. Let's just do one to hopefully create uh, an appetite. And by the way, that's supplemented by the love of God. And I would add to that the grace of God. And I'm sure if I look in the table of contents, I would add other chapters as well. By the way, you don't, you, you don't have to start at the beginning. Well, you should start at the beginning. That's, that's stupid. Start, start at the beginning. Yes. Yeah. But this is what I mean. You, you can go from chapter 2, the people who know their God, um, yeah, you want to do chapter three too, knowing and being known. Uh, but then you can bail if you want uh, from a consecutive reading. Uh, and like, if you want to study the love of God, go to the love of God after that. After you've acclimated, he's acclimated you to the book, head to the love of God. If you want to go to the grace of God, look through the attributes of God he identifies and say, where am I weak? Where do I need assurance right now? 
So don't, don't like have this self-imposed, well, nope, now I got to read chapter four. No, no, you don't. <laughs> Not that chapter four isn't going to serve you. Uh, but that, that's, I, I think this book can serve you if, you if you just determine what in your relationship with God right now, what chapter would best serve your soul. But when it comes to propitiation, here's just one brief quote. God's wrath, he writes, is his righteousness reacting to against unrighteousness, and it shows itself in this retributive justice. But Jesus Christ has shielded us from the nightmare prospect of retributive justice by becoming our representative substitute in obedience to his Father's will and receiving the wages of our sin in our place. So don't, don't be afraid of studying God's wrath. Don't, don't avoid it because only those who are aware of God's wrath appreciate grace. If you, if you, if you show me someone who's amazed by grace, that's someone who understands God's wrath against sin, holiness and wrath as an expression um, Wrath is God's expression of his holiness against our sin. So by this, propitiation means justice has been done for the sins of all that will ever be pardoned, were judged, and punished in the person of God the Son. And it is on this basis that pardon is now offered to us offenders. So redeeming love, he says, and justice joint. Sorry. Actually, I'm not sorry. Joined hands so to speak, at Calvary. For there God showed himself to be just and the justifier of him that hath faith in Jesus. And then Packer writes, do you understand this? And, and he'll always be kind of looking up from his writing and then talking to you. I love that. Do you understand this? If you do, you are now seeing to the very heart of the Christian gospel. Ooh, that's money. So that's what awaits you. I have three or four other readings. There isn't time. Jake's reduced me to 40 minutes. That's unfair. We should have started at like seven this morning if you wanted me to, to, to be thorough. Okay, one, one reading from, um, from the chapter on the love of God. This is what awaits you. And again, when, when the guy writes earlier, that there, you know, there seems like there's hardly ever a, uh, a wasted word. I mean, I, I would, yeah. I'm, I'm not sure. I, you know what I'd ask that guy if I got with him? I would say, what, what words do you think are wasted? Because I, I'm not finding um, the wasted words. So here's from the love of God. He says, the knowledge that this is so, God's love for sinners like you and me. The knowledge that this is so for us personally is the supreme comfort for Christians. As believers, we find in the cross of Christ assurance that we as individuals are beloved of God. Quote, the son of God loved me and gave himself for me, Galatians 2.20. Knowing this, we are able to apply to ourselves the promise that all things work together for good to them that love God and are called according to his purpose. Not just some, some things note, but all things. Every single thing that happens to us expresses God's love to us and comes to us for the furthering of God's purpose to us. Thus, so far as we are concerned, God is love to us, holy, 
omnipotent love at every moment and in every event of every day's life. Listen, even when we cannot see the why and the wherefore of God's dealings, we know that there is love in and behind them so that we can rejoice always, even when humanly speaking, things are going wrong. We know that the true story of our life, when known, will prove to be, as the hymn says, quote, mercy from first to last. And then he finishes, and we are content. (laughs) Oh, yes, I am. I am. After reading you, Dr. Packer, I am content. Um, So the heart of the gospel. Second, a theology of suffering. Oh, this is going to serve you with a theology of suffering. You have been well taught in relation to suffering, and this will only reinforce all you've learned about suffering. A theology of suffering is covered in chapter 9, titled God Only Wise, and chapter 10 as well. But let me just first read from God Only Wise. Oh my. So he goes through and he describes uh, why God tested uh, Abraham and Jacob, and then he, he finishes with Joseph before he makes a turn in a section he just titles Our Perplexing Trials. So this is just a brief kind of intro to that section. He said, Joseph was being tested and refined and matured. He was being taught during his spell as a slave and in prison. Now, you want to pay attention to this. I tell you, I I have memorized this. I have taken this into countless difficult days to serve as a companion and it has a transforming effect on my life. He was being taught during his spell, remember, as a slave and in prison, and here's what he's been taught, to stay himself upon God, to remain cheerful and charitable in frustrating circumstances. I can't tell you how many days those two phrases, cheerful and charitable, CJ. By God's grace, cheerful and charitable, cheerful and charitable. God is teaching you to be cheerful and charitable. God is teaching you to, 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 to cultivate a theology of, of cheerfulness and charitableness in the midst of difficult circumstances. Cheerful and charitable in frustrating circumstances and to wait patiently for the Lord. God uses sustained hardship to teach these lessons very frequently. <laughs> yes, he does. Um, And so then he goes on to, then he transitions. This is what I love. You're not just reading about Abraham and Jacob and Joseph. Then he always, he's just got, there's a a pastoral uh, impulse in Dr. Packer. So then then we go to our, our perplexing trials. And he says, these things are written for our learning, for the same wisdom that ordered the paths which God's saints trod in Bible times orders the Christian life today. We should not, therefore, be too taken aback when unexpected and upsetting and discouraging things happen to us now. What do they mean? Simply that God in his wisdom means to make something of us which we have not attained yet. And he is dealing with us accordingly. And then he gives just, here's a sampling of what God is doing in our lives, particularly in the midst of difficult and frustrating circumstances. Perhaps, I I love how he just introduces, perhaps... He means to strengthen us in patience, good humor, compassion, humility, or meekness by giving us some extra practice 
in exercising these graces under especially difficult conditions. Tell me that isn't a well-crafted sentence. That, that is, oh my goodness. And I love how Packer begins. It's just very humble. Perhaps, oh, perhaps, I think for certain. Uh, <laughs> not perhaps. And then he keeps going. He's working with this perhaps word. Perhaps he has new lessons in self-denial and self-distrust to teach us. Perhaps he wishes to break us of complacency or unreality or undetected forms of pride and, and conceit. <laughs> Perhaps, you think? Yeah, you think? And then he finishes it with this. Perhaps, and I love this last phrase, perhaps his purpose is simply to draw us closer to himself in conscious communion with him. Actually, that's not the last perhaps. Or perhaps God is preparing us for forms of service of which at present we have no inkling. It goes on and on. If I had more time, I would read the whole chapter to you. Um, but that's going to serve you with the theology of suffering. That's chapter 9. Chapter 10 is God's wisdom and ours. And if Carolyn or my daughter Nicole were here, uh, they would tell you. So in preparation for writing their most recent book, True Life, which is a study and application of Ecclesiastes, uh, I think they read 12 commentaries, worked their way through 12 different commentaries. And their most oft-asked question during their writing and following their writing from individuals has been, which commentary do you recommend? Because Ecclesiastes is one difficult book to understand. And their answer is consistent and has been from the beginning. They would recommend first chapter 10 from Knowing God <laughs> as the best introduction to the book of Ecclesiastes they have read. So that, in their opinion, is what we are getting when, uh, when we read uh, chapter 10. And the problem is, how do I reduce it? Okay, so let's just... Uh, he's, he's, he's arguing here and trying to help us understand that the writer of Ecclesiastes is informing us that, that wisdom doesn't mean we can understand and explain all the all the circumstances that we are doing. It doesn't mean that we're going to, because we have a relationship with God doesn't mean we're going to be able to understand why uh, certain things have happened in our lives providentially. That, that, that's not, that actually isn't wisdom. The, the book of Ecclesiastes teaches actually that wisdom has its limitations. Um, and so he's, he's arguing um, for that because he says many, many of us, we, we have this, um, so it's almost like an assumption or, or sometimes it's, it's, it's taught to us that uh, you know, we, 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 we will have inside intel onto why everything in our lives is taking place. And, and so, no, the writer of Ecclesiastes is saying, that's not true um, because God's ordering of events is inscrutable. And so wisdom actually means not, not spending, not being distracted by and spending unending hours trying to understand every circumstance of our lives, which then distracts us from being present in the moment and serving God cheerfully and charitably. Um, so that's, that's what uh, this, is, this is arguing. And then at one point, yes, again, these are the kind of sentences that I just find. So he comes out of that whole section of kind of giving an overview of Ecclesiastes, and he just says, the God who rules this world hides himself. Oh my, that is so helpful. 
Be realistic, says the preacher, the author of Ecclesiastes. Face these facts. See life as it is. You will have no true wisdom until you do. Many of us need this admonition. Again, I love the way he writes, the way he sits. It's like I'm having a conversation um, with him, and he's very kind. He's British background, so he's very kind and, and careful. Um, so here's what he writes at the end. For the truth is that God in his wisdom to make and keep us humble and to teach us to walk by faith, listen, has hidden from us almost everything that we should like to know about the providential purposes which he is working out in the churches and in our own lives. Ah, that is so liberating. Although, you know, I, I, I'm, I have, uh, if, if you want to know, there's a repeated question I ask. It's not wrong to ask the question. It's wrong to demand an answer to it. Um, why? Why? And, and it's too easy, particularly when you're suffering, to think relief lies in knowing why. Just tell me why. Tell me why, and I will be liberated. I'll be relieved. And no, he's, he's telling you, not that there aren't general biblical reasons we can know why, but he's just telling the kind of details that we would desire. No, no, God deliberately hides them. Well, why are you doing this? I'm doing this, CJ, for your good. I'm doing this to humble you. I'm doing this to keep you dependent on me. Uh, I'm doing this because I, I'm drawing you near to myself. And I'm doing this because, CJ, I don't answer to you. <laughs> Let me just add, <laughs> when, when I answer prayer, I'm not running errands for you. And when you say why, I'm not answerable to you. Okay, I'm not accountable to you. Um, so then he just says, um, uh, so I love this. So he comes out of this and he says, oh, so what is wisdom? Well, the preachers helped us to see what it's not. Does he give any guidance as to what it is? And here it is. Yeah, indeed he does. Again, I love the lively way he writes. Fear God, keep his commandments. That's from Ecclesiastes 12. Packer then comes out of that. Trust and obey him. Reverence him. Worship him. Be humble before him. And he just goes on. Live in the present and enjoy it thoroughly. Present pleasures are God's good gifts. Seek grace to work hard at whatever life calls you to do and enjoy your work as you do it. Leave to God its issues. Let him measure its ultimate worth. Your part to use, all, your part is to use all the good sense and enterprise at your command in exploiting the opportunities that lie before you. And yeah, God, you have to have a conviction that the inscrutable God of providence is the wise and gracious God of creation and redemption. Even if for the moment he hides his hand, we can trust him and rejoice in him even when we cannot discern his path. Oh, my friend, that will serve your soul. There will be times in your life if there hasn't already been, and all you have to do is live long enough to experience one of these times when you can't clearly discern his path. And Ecclesiastes sets you free to understand nothing strange is happening to you. No, not at all. If he's hiding his hands, he's teaching us to trust him and rejoice in him even when we cannot discern his path. One more chapter. I have four minutes by my clock and I'm sure my clock is slow. Um, uh, and that would be the doctrine of adoption. Actually, if I, was to, if I was to say what chapters had the most effect on those who I've recommended reading this book, and what sermon I've given in my life that appears to have the most effect, it has been on adopting grace. 
understanding God as Father, which I think I gave here at one point. Well, that, that is all the shoulders I'm standing on would, would be uh, Dr. Pack, Packer, and it would be, if memory serves, that's got to be chapter 19, doesn't it? Yes, sons of God. So I, I could not recommend. So when he says the, the three-word kind of reduction of the message in the New Testament, propitiation through adoption, that, that, that's, ooh, that he devotes a whole chapter to, uh, that's where you'll find that quote, and he devotes a whole chapter to that. Um, he argues the entire Christian life has to be understood in terms of this, that sonship, adopting grace, must be the controlling thought, the normative category, if you like, at every point. Well, that should challenge all of us. Is that your normative category? Do, do you think of yourself as adopted by God, adopted by the grace of God? Are you viewing everything through that normative category? So this is the chapter where he says, if he had to reduce the New Testament, the focus of the New Testament message in three words, his proposal would be adoption through propitiation. And then he adds, I love that he adds this. If I ever met him, I would have said, that's quite an ad. And I do not expect ever to meet a richer or more pregnant summary of the gospel than that. <laughs> oh, that's good. Um, okay, so let's just finish reading. Oh, oh. Every page I turn, there's something I want to read. Um, yeah, his, listen, let, let me just sum it up by saying this. When I meet somebody who is unaware of God's affection for them, I recommend they restrict their diet to a study of adopting grace. Because the purpose of adopting grace is to transfer the affection of God for you. And so the fact that he has devoted a, an entire chapter on this doesn't, um, yeah, that doesn't surprise me at all. Um, and I have one minute. So let me just finish. Here, this is, Jake references at the beginning. It's the best way to end. What matters supremely, therefore, is not in the last analysis, the fact that I know God, but the larger fact that underlies it, the fact that he knows me. I am graven on the palms of his hands. I am never out of his mind. All my knowledge of him depends on his sustained initiative in knowing me. I know him because he first knew me and continues to know me. He knows me as a friend, one who loves me. And there is no moment when his eye is off me or his attention distracted from me. And no moment, therefore, when his care falters. This is momentous knowledge. There is unspeakable comfort, the sort of comfort that energizes, be it said, not enervates, in knowing that God is constantly taking knowledge of me in love and watching over me for my good. There is tremendous relief in knowing that his love to me is utterly realistic based at every point on prior knowledge of the worst about me so that no discovery now can disillusion him about me in the way I am often so disillusioned about myself. And no, so, so no, and then he ends with, and quench his determination to bless me. 
There is certainly great cause for humility in the thought that he sees all the twisted things about me that my fellow humans don't see. And that he sees more corruption in me than that which I see in myself. There is, however, equally great incentive to worship and love God in the thought that for some unfathomable reason, he wants me as his friend and desires to be my friend and has given his son to die for me in order to realize this purpose. It would be a very wise use of your time, and you are displaying a, a wonderful humility and interest by your presence here. It would be, I trust it's obvious, uh, that's my best attempt to sell this book, um, uh, to study this. Jake said I did okay. I'll take an okay. Yeah, yeah. I, I hope the heavenly evaluation exceeds that, but yeah. <laughs> You've been listening to a Cornerstone U class given at Cornerstone Church of Knoxville. Cornerstone U exists to have our minds renewed by the Word of God, to see who God is, and to live in light of His Word and Gospel. To find out more about previous Cornerstone U classes, visit us on the web at www.cornerstonechurchofknoxville.com forward slash cornerstone U.